This is podcast number 318, entitled Odyssey and Oracle. And um, that uh, first song was from the 1968-69 album Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies, and the track is called Care of Cell 44. I use the music, and especially the title, which was actually misspelled on the original album cover, and they tried to say it was conscious, but in fact it was an innocent error. I use it because the two words seem to me to sum up our lives in a way that seems very, as the Germans say, actuel, that is to say pertinent and accurate and true to life, <clears throat> but in a way that is to some extent fresh. In my own understanding, <clears throat> I believe it's a Christian way of looking at life, a deeply religious one, but also an accurate one. I want to reflect with you just a little bit about the sort of overall um, beginning, end, and middle of your life, of human life, of, a, of one solitary human life of which each of ours is an instance. I hope you all identify. I certainly do. Um, and uh, it's kind of a, what do we call it, a kind of a, a, a full field theory of the human experience of life, which I've also tried to put out in a book recently. The um, opening of human life and the whole stretch of human life is really an odyssey. It's uh, the quote, I think, comes from a play by Shakespeare, but the the uh, picture of uh, the Homeric odyssey, the long journey of uh, Odysseus from the uh, conclusion of the war against Troy back home, I think it's Ithaca, isn't it? Back <coughs> home to Cornell, ja-ha-ha, but back home and the many, many different uh, adventures and uh, crosswinds and uh, huge deviations which uh, the winds, the fates, God and everything conspires to um, block and obstruct his journey home ultimately to Penelope. And um, and their son, uh, Telemachus, as some people called it, and Telemachus, as I was taught to say it. But the picture of our life as a um, as a whole, as a unified whole, which is also in the um, at the behest of, at the creation of, and at the direction of an over riding providence. Uh, and I'm asking you, do you see this? I mean, do you, are you able to feel with any sincerity that you see the hand of God from beginning to where you are now, that despite all the many changes of course and odd experienced, um, uh, as I say, dissonances and blockages <clears throat> and uh, sometimes massive defeats, as well as certain kind of aided zephyrs and winds that, uh, you know, I was doing the um, the morning, uh, the food mobile drop-off at City of Destiny in Apopka, Florida. We, we feed hundreds and hundreds of people uh, once a week at least there at City of Destiny. And uh, I said to the team, I was with some people, I said, well, let me, um, can I bring you all some water? Because we have water, plastic water bottles for the volunteers because it's hot and hard work. And uh, somebody said, yes, yes. And then one lovely lady said, yes, but not Zephyr Hills. <laughs> she, 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 I said, what? She said, anything but Zephyr Hills. Well, she obviously has a reason, and I didn't ask, but not Zephyr Hills. Now, the Zephyrs of our life, those are the positive plus wins, as well as sometimes the pushes into uh, a, an act of faith, which turned out to be the key thing. And I think of life that way. I was... Um, 
talking to some uh, very old friends of mine at real depth the other day, uh, divine depth, not just depth, but depth of looking at the whole of our lives as we approach our <clears throat> our 70th birthdays, each of us. And um, it was clear that there's been a leading and uh, to all of our lives, especially the women we married, the children we've had, the massive reversals of fortune, uh, outrageous fortune that we've experienced, as well as the, the tremendous sense of the hand of God that we all three of us saw <clears throat> in our life, notwithstanding certain elements that were unresolved. And um, the uh, I thought of two things. Um, I recently discovered that during my um, second year, uh, as my sophomore year, in which I pledged a fraternity, I I knew it always, but now I really knew it, that my future wife, whom I didn't know, and uh, Mary, my wife, Mary, was actually living next door in a sorority house to the fraternity house where I was being... um, uh, I was a pledge, and we were going through the rough and tumble, and I find very delightful and marvelous uh, shared experiences of our pledge class that year with my friends and roommate and various people from school that I'd known, and et cetera, et cetera. But all that time when I was there a lot, because you had to be a lot, spent a lot of time at the fraternity house, <clears throat> which did not come naturally to me, Mary was actually living about... <clears throat> 65 feet away the entire time of my pledge from the parties to the ridiculous fun hazing elements that were really good actually very memorable and all benign and Mary was my future wife whom I did not know and I would not meet till about the end of October of the following year um, academic year um, was there the entire time and if you had been the God's eye camera you could have panned your camera your 8 millimeter camera your video your phone now from the hijinks that I was both the both victim and priest of uh, in the fraternity house you could pan the camera at any almost any moment of that across the uh, driveway the adjoining abutting driveway and abutting building and there you would have found uh, Mary and uh, completely unknown to each other. We had no idea. And then I thought, uh, what a wonderful thing, the hand of God, uh, the providence of God. And in fact, that had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that we later met in a completely different context, although the same university campus. But it had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that she was there, but she was geographically in person the entire was not virtual and then I thought to myself of that movie by Jacques Demy from the early 60s which is really a masterpiece I want to say 1962 but it may be a little earlier entitled Lola the French movie with what's her name I forget but uh, it's um the movie Lola, in which you start the movie with a man uh, dressed sort of with a with flair in kind of a white suit and a big kind of broad-brimmed, almost a cowboy hat, getting out of an American car on the sort of on a, on a, on a overlook to the city of Nantes in France. You don't know that. doesn't make any difference. And he gets out of this car, and he, he's overlooking the whole city, and then he disappears. And you sort of say, well, that, why, why was, what, what was, what is that all about? That there's a person who appears who you don't don't see. Now, you do later see him at the end of the movie. And he is, um, he, and he plays a vital role. He's actually come to find a woman whom he loves to marry her, and uh, the mother of his child, who, and he's been away for years, and he has come to find her. The entire length of the movie, you don't know, because you don't see the fellow, 
I mean, and please don't talk about spoilers. The movie was made in blinking 1961 or something like that. You don't know that he knows, and she doesn't know, and her little boy doesn't know, and nobody knows that all throughout this drama that involves uh, an American sailor and uh, this young woman who's become a kind of a prostitute, I think that's fair to say, um, I think I think she has, in fact, become a prostitute. And this American sailor who's fallen for her and uh, a couple of other characters who later appear in other Jacques Demy movies, that the entire time this man is uh, calming the city to rescue this poor gal, who's very sympathetic, Anouk M.A., that's the name of the actress. And um, he's come to rescue her with the complete intention of marrying her ASAP. And it turns out he's become a riche. He has a fortune now and can provide for her completely and is there to pluck her out of her really defeated and defeating circumstances, which we see, and and save her, deliver her. And yet we don't know that at all. Now that's um, really the hand of God. Do, do you, um, did you know that uh, God was going to uh, rescue you, that God was all the time during your adolescence and your misfires and your emotional misfires and your catastrophes later on, let alone when you were 18, let alone when you were 28, 38, 48, that all the time there was a higher plan that was going to use a terrible experience you were having to deliver you into a far better place that was ultimately a massive <clears throat> a healing a course correction, which we sometimes call a kind of the, the, the cure of a, of a generational curse, whatever you want to call it. A, a, you can call it increase of merit if you want to use Buddhist terms. You can call it a, a, a um, building a, you know, a really growing out of inherited psychogenetic uh, settings that have set you back by definition the moment you were born, and yet things were given you and relationships were given, and often out of the crucible of terrible loss and terrible misfires and tragic apprehend misapprehensions and anger and bitterness, you found something much, much better, and it was the grace of God. You had no idea. You're just like Lola in the movie. She's leading her very very checkmated, disastrous life, which ends up in her leaving Nantes at the exact moment that God, in the person of Michel, appears, uh, this larger-than-life character who, in fact, um, has been there all the time. Mary, uh, as her name now is, Zal, was uh, sitting there with her sorority sisters and others whom she loved and knew and was close to in a, a situation there, but yards away from her future husband, and neither of us had any idea. Uh, but it was all a big, huge... Um, but it's important to me that she was there, because there was some unhappiness associated with that time in my life, as well as some delight. And um, she was there. And I th can, can you... Uh, is there any example of that? I, I can give... Um, my great friend uh, who was sharing his life story the other day, and he, he walks by the Church of the Ascension, the Episcopal Church at 12th and 5th Avenue, or is it 10th and 5th Avenue? I think it's 10th Street and 5th Avenue, the old Church of the Ascension, which we nicknamed because I was working nearby the Church of the Condescension. But nevertheless, he walks by with his wife of many, many years and, and cries when he talks about it because in the parish hall of the Church of the Ascension, my Mary introduced this young man to the woman whom he had never met before at a coffee hour after a um, Sunday uh, uh, morning service. Mary introduces this young man to the woman who would become his wife and is to this day his wife and the mother of their children. And what a remarkable thing. So think about Odyssey. 
This is the Odyssey. Uh, life isn't really an Odyssey, but it's an Odyssey in which the Zephyrs, as well as the contrary headwinds, are <clears throat> in the hands of a larger purpose. And I believe that without any question. I'm not a nihilist. We were, I was talking to having a little correspondence with Joe Dante this week, the movie director, and uh, he corrected me properly in saying that the script of the 1964 released movie, The Mask of the Red, uh, the Mask of the Red Death with Vincent Price was in fact not anti-Christian. It was only the villain who was anti-Christian. It was in fact agnostic, and that the only really ultimate, uh, or I might say nihilistic, but the only ultimate victor in life is death, not necessarily the devil, because the devil is revealed to be really a subsidiary, subordinated to death as a character in this odd and beautiful, but I feel warped movie. And he simply said the the attitude of the script is in fact um, agnostic, but life is not agnostic in which death is just the end. Life is in fact an odyssey. Now let me tell you one more thing <clears throat> about the oracle side of things. I'm doing my uh, <clears throat> my weekly attempt to be volunteering. I go whenever I possibly can, which is not every time, but I really, really makes my week. <clears throat> and I'm bagging cucumbers for the people who come to receive this, these very um, varied and healthy and ample food boxes that we give out with joy and uh and uh, a lady is next to me whom i've met before just very briefly and she's impressive she's a pastor at a street at a strip mall uh, pentecostal church in uh uh, on Colonial Drive, um, slightly west of, the, of Orlando, but in Orlando, you would say. And uh, I'm impressed by her. Um, she comes from a completely different world in every possible way uh, from the world in which I might say my odyssey has hitherto been lived circumstantially. But she comes from the same world, ultimately. She and I have are in fact just like you and she. You and you and she are in the same world, which is the world of God's work in this world with individuals needy you know, hopelessly hoping to quote CSNY. And she is, um, so I'm saying to her, because I value her opinions, I just say to her, well, now, how do you see the pandemic? I'm curious. Just tell me, how do you see it spiritually? Because she's a woman of God. She has a gift, by the way. She's one of two, maybe more, but together with Pastor Paula, this woman has a kind of a spiritual gift that is above and beyond her goodwill and her personality and her life and her faithfulness and her odyssey. But I recognize in her and have from the beginning something beyond that, something really that is uh, outside her, uh, uh, the voice of God. <clears throat> I've, I've heard it from her a little bit because I've only talked to her a little bit. But I said, tell me what you think about the pandemic. And she says, oh, it's the end times. I said, wait a minute, I've heard that there are people who say that it's the end times, but are you actually saying that it is the end times? And she says, oh, absolutely. I said, but why do you believe that? And she said, well, I think she said, I think she said, and I'm trying to follow up with her directly. I think she said, well, read, read Revelation 9. <laughs> that seemed to settle it. But then I said, well, then why do you even continue? If, if the pandemic, she was telling me that the coronavirus pandemic is a direct indication that we are in the end times before the, before the second coming of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom on this world and, and forever and ever with the end of all um, ambivalence and ambiguity, the perfect kingdom of the risen, uh, arriving Messiah of God, Jesus Christ, and she, she, um, she said, "Oh, she said absolutely." She said it with incredible force. I had never heard anybody say it. I've heard a few people who I would regard as extreme fringe people in the Christian world say it, and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was. I just don't take it seriously. But when she said it, I said, "Oh my gosh, 
And then she um, she said, well, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. She said, because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So she said, I still pray for people. I pray for healing. I lay hands on people. I'm still deeply concerned for individuals, broken individuals. And we certainly need to pray for forgiveness. We need to repent like mad. I mean, that was, those are my words of what she was saying. We, the, we need to repent absolutely and completely. The whole world needs to repent before this great and terrible day of the Lord. But um, we are definitely, she said it with extraordinary certainty. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And then I thought to myself, well, I mean, <clears throat> think of what the terrible, two, two things struck me. Uh, the, the movie The Sentinel from 1970, whenever it was, I want to say 73, which is about the most harrowing movie about suicide uh, that you could pot. You cannot see the movie The Sentinel, which is very good, in my opinion. I think Ava Gardner plays a small role in it, but it has this wonderful actress whose name escapes me, who's just wonderful. And um, it's about a, a, it's a supernatural thriller, but it is really about don't commit suicide. <laughs> if you see that, if you see the movie, and I've seen it several times, I want to see it again. You will never, ever seriously consider suicide. Everybody considers suicide at some point because life can get unbearable. Almost everybody I know, not everybody, but almost everybody I know has at one point or another <clears throat> in some part of their inner lives wanted to get out of this life, ASAP, maybe by their own hand. But you will never, but any um, culture that teaches uh, euthanasia or that teaches that suicide has any rights over you at all Although Christians are very forgiving and ought to be forgiving because when you commit suicide, you're really being ruled by the devil. As this movie clearly states and exemplifies and shows, it is a brilliant movie and quite alarming. But if you take God's <clears throat> life and death prerogative into your hands, you really run the danger of, of complete and total uh, collapse uh, and, and what the, the Bible, what we in our tradition call hell uh, after you do it. And the second thing I, uh, with the transgender thing, Thing. I don't want to go off on a tear, but I, I do. I've had a lot of experience with that over the years. Believe it or not, long before it became a thing, which it now very much is, I, Mary and I had experience... <clears throat> in our ministry in New York with, with what was then called something different, but it's the same thing exactly, uh, right down to the surgical option. And uh, we saw it, and um, it, it is to say that it is in any way, sh shape, or form normal, what that is, it's a taking away of God's work in your life. You, you, it, it's a, it's, it's bordering on euthanasia and or suicide because the um, the conviction that you have the right to change something fundamental about the experience that's been handed you by God uh, with all its inherited deficits, which are all um, healable and curable. Uh, in fact, uh, even if it's the slow train, slow train running by uh, Dylan, if you... Um, really take into your own hands the decision that God made about your life in regarding male and female, you're approaching something along the lines of uh, suicide uh, in terms of its, its theological uh, weight. And any society, someone was saying that the... Um, that the current gender euphoria, dysphoria um, approach that, uh, say, the United States government or that our world, our popular culture is taking is really a moral nadir. And I accept that. I, I believe it. I have sympathy with it. I, I don't identify with it, but I do have sympathy with it, just as I have great sympathy with people who take their own lives. And But it, it, it is a reflection of something extremely wrong because it's taking God's will and seeking to alter it 
consciously and intentionally, and that can only draw upon itself enormous negative judgment and wrath. Um, that's my view. And um, when she said that the pandemic is, uh, a, I feel certain she would agree with the second thing I said, but I didn't bring that up. <clears throat> These are um, trends, uh, the suicide, uh, euthanasia, especially in Europe, but increasingly in the West Coast and here in this country, and the other thing we just talked about. Those are pictures, and, and the COVID, both what it reveals about the shallowness of the spirituality of, of so many people, whether they're Christians or not, the fears that underlie uh, the appearance of religion that really uh, sort of have revealed it to be extremely shallow. That is uh, a powerful um, picture that we are in a very a uniquely desperate situation. And I myself have felt that what's happened, especially with the children, through the schooling um, paranoia, in my opinion, or let's just say the lack of schooling from, in many cases, it'll be more than a year, that is something that we haven't encountered even in war, only in war, in actual massive war, do you encounter a, a social uh, dislocation that is that extreme and has the potential to really, really mess up a generation. All I'm saying is when she said oracle, and when I say oracle and odyssey, I, I've talked about Odyssey, and my friend the other day at the Cucumbers at City of Destiny, I felt, I wonder if she's an oracle. I wonder if, in fact, what she's saying is true. I certainly want to find someone who is my oracle. I guess what I want to say to you is don't necessarily agree with me about the end times, and I'm not sure I agree with myself, although I took her, I take her, I take her very seriously. I'm asking you to consider who is the oracle. Is there an oracle in your life? You're, leaving, you're leading your life, but whom do, you, whom do you listen to as an oracle? I hear Paula. Pastor Paula as an oracle on many, many occasions, most of the time. And I'm wondering, this friend of mine, uh, this person I know, but not friend, this acquaintance, this African, this, uh, this Pentecostal pastor uh, at a storefront church in uh, West Orlando, she strikes me as potentially an oracle. Who is your oracle? Do you have one? You need one. Thank you so much. And now we're going to listen to a, uh, a, a, what I consider a remarkable tract, on stereo from the 1968-69 cuts by the zombies. It is called, um, you know, um, This Will Be Our Year by the Zombies. Love you. Just begun This will be our year 